Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Prav is a 20-year-old young entrepreneur and a student at Birmingham City University studying business management. Prav owns and manages her own company, which sets to become a platform providing personalized fitness and nutrition plans targeting people with disabilities and medical conditions. Prav is also an endometrial cancer survivor and I believe the youngest person we have ever had come on and share their story. Prav, thank you so much for coming on today. No worries. Definitely here to speak about my story for sure. Wow. I mean, you're only 20. So take us back to when and what happened. Yes. So um, I first came across my symptoms when I was around 12 or 13, you know, as a young woman going into puberty and getting her periods and stuff like that. Like I started my periods around the age of 10 um, because my family is being like a person who starts their periods early. So for me, it was quite normal, had the normal thing for two years. And then from the age of 12, I noticed something abnormal within myself. Um, normally my periods last for f- like five or six days but these next periods that happened after I turned 12 were more like two weeks long and they were very heavy oh. yeah and um, <laughs> clots used to come up quite a lot as well um, and for me it was quite traumatizing especially when I was 12 and I went to see a doctor. The doctor said it was normal to begin with. They did not really check it. They checked only my blood and I turned out to be iron deficient. That's the only thing they gave me in that time. Um, and then also because I also have a disability as well, I have cerebral palsies, which is a um, neurological condition that affects your limbs. So I used to get bullied quite a lot in my school and I developed an eating disorder around that called PICA. Um, so to cope with my mental health, I usually indulged into that eating disorder. And um, during that time, what was the also, eating disorder, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, I said it was called PICA. Basically, it's an um, eating disorder where you eat inedible objects. For example, like chalk or um, bleach or something like that. I ate like <sighs> tissues quite a lot. That was my kind of coping mechanism. Um, but with the whole periods thing, um, it seemed to escalate even further. My doctors believed that my eating disorder wasn't the cause of it, so it was all clear. Um, I stopped it around like two years later, but around that time, um, I was like turning 15, I had like a blood attack. So what happened was my blood content was so low that I was losing like half of my entire body's content um, from my periods itself. So I had to be rushed to the hospital and get a blood transfusion done. Um, yeah, and I was so weak to the point that, um, 
the doctor started to look more carefully into what happened. So from there, I was appointed like a gynecologist at the age of 15. We used to go to appointments and they checked me and they said they want to do some scans and stuff like that. Um, but the gynecologist that I was with at the time, they did not really check inside my womb and inside my uterus. So um, we ended up switching to another gynecologist and that's when he figured it all out. He was like, let's do a biopsy. I think I was se like 16, 17 at the time. I was around 17 and they were like, let's do a biopsy and see what happens. So I had a biopsy around June, July-ish. A, a biopsy um, of tissue from your uterus? Yeah, from my uterus, yeah. So I had to be put under actually because for me, I was quite young to do it, like, open and awake, so I did it under anesthesia. In June, I did the first one, and that's when they diagnosed me with hyperplasia. So, um, hyperplasia is when abnormal tissues, abnormal endometrial tissues grow into your womb, and that meant, like, I get more heavier periods than normal people. But the thing that um, the doctors told me from the hyperplasia that I had a 50% chance of developing a cancerous cell from it. So um, just to make sure that it wasn't cancer and stuff like that, they did another biopsy the next month. Um, so I was put under once again and had the second biopsy. And a couple of days afterwards, I obviously recovered because it was such an easy procedure. Um, I went to a su summer school because I was applying to universities around that time. Um, so I was just going to summer school at one particular university and I had some fun there and I actually met my ex-boyfriend at the time there as well. And what year is it? Um, just so people know. This, this was 2018, so only yes, three years not, ago. Yeah, not that long ago. Okay. Yeah, so um, the last day on the Friday, I actually had a phone call from my doctor saying that we got the results from the biopsy come a Monday morning and we'll find out what it is they didn't even book an appointment they just say Monday morning just come to this clinic and it wasn't too far from my house so I was like okay so this was doing my summer school so I had to go home obviously and I was like thinking throughout the week and what this could be it sounded like they were worried if the, the call was like something felt like something was wrong and Monday morning, me and my mother went to the hospital, to the gynecologist um, clinic, and there stood my gynecologist and the oncologist. I didn't know it was an oncologist at the time. But just another when doctor? I, yeah, I just thought it was another gynecologist and stuff like that. He sat me down and he said, oh, you, you have stage one endometrial cancer. And that's when my heart just, you know... Um, yeah, so I was shocked to say the least because um, what they mentioned to me is in the UK in for endometrial cancers or cases, I was actually the youngest to have it out of everyone. Because everyone ever. ever. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. So you had symptoms and mm -hmm. those heavy periods that lasted seven days or longer from the time you were 12. Yes, and some, the most, most case was like three, four months. That's what expanding to seven days to three, four months of oh. heavy, very heavy, to the point that I had to change every half an hour to an hour, and it's all covered, yes. 
How were you That's... able to attend school? I didn't know how I did. And um, I, um, in the UK, we have like a system where like 16 year olds do this exam called the GCSEs and that's when you do English, Math, Science, all of that you do loads of subjects and it's quite hard because you have to think about it. We had to study like 11 subjects and each subject had its own exams and it was quite in a difficult stage and me going through that it was quite difficult for me so at the end I actually achieved like 9 C's and one D from it. That one D was because I was at the hospital at the time. Um, but um, it was quite difficult. I had to persevere through it. And I also have a disability, so that causes me every single day up to this point, actually. And um, yeah, it was really difficult. But when I got diagnosed, then it made sense to me why all of that happened six years of symptoms and it was never diagnosed until now but the lucky thing was it was only stage one right. out of all that time it was only stage one wow. which was extremely lucky for me what was your mother's reaction i just I just she she cried before i did she busted into tears and I was just shocked to say the least. I wasn't like upset or anything. I just shocked was shocked. And when I, I glanced over her for a second and I started crying. <laughs> I did cry just thinking about your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. So you get that news. What happens mm -hmm. next? And so what happened next? I got to the oncologist, which was in the room as well. And um, basically that day I remember that we came in the Monday morning there was loads of people waiting in the obviously the thing there was a lot of people then they said it was like the most amount of people that had in a day for a very long time and I just got rushed through I cut that key they just as soon as they saw me they made me go into the room which was crazy because if you know the NHS they make you wait hours just to go for an appointment that's how serious that's how it was. serious it was right. yeah yeah that's how um, serious it was and then another oncologist came into the room and took me to another room by myself and explained that um we're going to see over the next two weeks what will happen just as your body naturally gets into it and all of that um, and then after the two weeks we prescribe you chemotherapy drugs so wait so surgery was not on the table um, I'll tell you about that actually later. Okay. All, right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, firstly, they wanted to see if any sort of drugs, oral drugs, it wasn't like the normal chemotherapy or have, it was just the drugs. They would see how would my cancerous cells in my uterus react to that. They wanted to test that first because obviously they dealt with people in their mid 40s, 50s with this type of cancer but not on the person whose fertility was on question and not knowing what they would do to a person under the age of 20. So um, they wanted to test to see if chemotherapy therapy drugs was on the tables. So they gave me like half a tablet two times a day. I had to get this cutter and like have it and stuff like that. So I had that on for two and a half months. And I was on them and they did like the ultrasounds, MRIs, all of that and seeing whether it shrunk or grown and luckily it stayed the same. It didn't shrunk or didn't grow. 
so it showed that those drugs weren't really working as much um i was still having really bad periods around the time and i had to like record um, my progress about how much blood is coming out each month in that amount of time and my uncle who is actually one a doctor as well from a in a private hospital he came to me with, with my appointments just so i could understood anything that the doctor may say and stuff like that and one other trick that the doctors put me through was iud they wanted to put me on the iud why um why? it was it was because they wanted to see if my hormones was the reason behind my cancer so um they wanted to do another biopsy as well so all together throughout this i had two biopsies before my diagnosis two biopsies afterwards so i had a biopsy and then during the surgery they put in the iud to see how my body will respond to it after a week i came back to the clinic they examined me and they found out that the iud fell out it fell out and i got an infection from it i had a really bad infection from it so they said okay the drugs are not working the iud is not working the only other option is surgery because they wanted to avoid surgery for me just because of my age and all of that um but eventually it had to come to the point where surgery was on the tables and they gave me time to think about it of course um my uncle was also consulting me like saying what is the benefits what are the disadvantages of it mainly the disadvantage was my fertility like now i'm not able to produce kids i can't get pregnant um i just do still have my ovaries left so that's a good thing if i want to do so i can see ivf or adoption stuff like that um but I, it ultimately came to the point where i said yes to the surgery three months after i was diagnosed that's when they did my surgery um it was actually two weeks before my 18th birthday so yeah imagine that um so i had that surgery done um they removed my uterus, my cervix and my fallopian tubes but they kept the ovaries in which is said to them to be very risky for me so now I get like checkups to check if my ovaries are okay and I did have myopd, um, what is it, PCOS, I don't know what it's called, like the polycystic the, ovarian yeah. syndrome okay yeah, yeah i had that i had mild case of it but it went away afterwards so that's why it was quite risky for me to do the surgery so they managed to do the hysterectomy it was from the keyhole so it was um i still got like the marks till this day um i had like five marks two near the bottom to get all the tools in one in the middle where they pulled out the uterus from ultimately i had that removed I stayed one night at the hospital then i was in so much pain um but ultimately they told me to go home and that's when they did a scan the next week and confirmed that i was cancer free it did not spread anywhere it, the cancer contained within that uterus um but they still want to get checkups on me every three to six months to see if there was a piece of cancer that was in my ovaries for example or anywhere else in the body so i have that till up to this day but everything seems to be okay at the moment and yeah that's just the whole story <laughs> of my diagnosis most cancers not hereditary but a mm -hmm. lot of cancers are um it, 
did anyone in your family have a history of cancer, no. especially women? No. no, it was crazy because after my diagnosis, I got put into the genetics team to find out why it happened. Um, they were testing for Lyme's disease and like any other genetic problems that could cause in my family. From both sides of my families, no one had cancer, particularly reproductive cancers, right. but not any sort of cancer in any way, even from my like, my grandparents' families as well, they never had cancer. So it went as far behind as that. And all the tests came back negative. So ultimately, they put it down as there's no cause. It just randomly happened. And they also tested to see whether, for example, if I had future kids with IVF and stuff like that, if it would happen to them as well. And also to because I have a little sister, she's 13. They had to test on her to see if she would have a risk as well. But in God, like, there's nothing there. There's nothing there from the genetic side that would say that it would happen to her, which they say there was a 95% chance it wouldn't happen to her or to any female in the family. So it was all good. Did you feel that time before the diagnosis with just the so many years of horrific mm -hmm. periods, did you feel that something else was really wrong? Um during the time I thought that it would have been worse than it really was I thought it would have reached to my ovaries and eventually like my lymph nodes as well I thought it would have spread towards there when they said it was stage one and bear in mind it was 1a which is the beginning um it was crazy because if I had like six years of symptoms not knowing where it was and then diagnosing and finding out was the very smallest part of it but it could have grew and um, they said if we just left that at that it would have grown so much but the fact that they were suppressing it by the IUD the chemotherapy drugs before even considering surgery was tremendous what was it like for other family members including your sister I know she was really young but does she remember much of this and um, she was 10 years old she does she does remember it um, I remember like when I reached home from the hospital the day I was diagnosed my mom could not control it and she ended up telling my sister and my brother and my dad no my dad was went to the hospital as well but it was mainly my brother and sister who we told and she gave me a really big hug saying I'm here for you if you need anything just tell me and stuff like that she understood what was happening because she also started her periods at 11 a year after the diagnosis so it was not much of a mystery to her she knew that like periods could be a scary thing and now she saw my experience now she's scared to get the same experience my grandparents came over afterwards and I told them the news and it was just heartbreaking for everyone to see what's happening in all of that, what was your worst moment? I think when it was the day of the surgery. Um, the hysterectomy? The day of the yeah, surgery? Yeah. yeah. So because I knew that I was going into something where I'm like, I'm not going to feel more as a woman now because I can't be pregnant. I can't have like, you know, all of that stuff. I felt like that, that was really like my worst moment when I was thinking like, okay, I may not be as much as a woman than I was, but eventually over time I realized I am more of a woman now, 
But during that time, I was very naive and all of that. So I was thinking, maybe from this, people will think that I'm such a disgrace for not getting pregnant, being infertile for the rest of my life, all of that. But now I realise that it's not... That's not the only thing that you could do, which is really good. So, Since you brought it up, how did you get from that person who felt like less of a woman to the beautiful young woman I see today um, who identifies that you are a woman? Yeah, so um, that time, because I was just thinking all of that in my head, afterwards I started understanding there were different options such as adoption, surrogacy, all of that, that kind of boosted my confidence. But then it's also the, I think the point where I realised that is when I actually launched my business because it's aimed towards people with a disability, which I have a CP right. and medical conditions as well, which is my cancer. So bringing two of the aspects that I had in my life and sharing it for the people in the world made me realise that, yeah, I am a woman, I'm very confident, I should be able to advocate disabilities and medical conditions to people all around the UK and like advocating all of that rights as well. I think that's the moment where I realized like yeah I'm doing some really cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) What was your best moment during that cancer journey? Uh, I think it was when I got out of the surgery I was like oh thank god I'm cancer free. I don't want to go through that again. What was it like for you? And I'm asking um, as a woman, I'm asking personally because I've had a hysterectomy. Um, what was it like not to get your period anymore? Especially oh, given what was. It feels amazing. Like nearly three <laughs> years going, not having my period is amazing. I do get like ovulation cramps from half time to time. Like I have to still track my ovulation just because I don't know when it comes and stuff like that. And also with the heavy periods I had in the past, they were very irregular. So I never know when it comes as well. So, Oh, goodness. So I always have to carry like a whole, like two bags full of pads and stuff like that because even if I do get my period, it's a lot. So I have to come prepared. But now it's like, it's a weight lifted on my shoulder. I don't need to do that anymore. Like... Um, I have a drawer right that back there with my sister because she has a period now. But when I opened that, I was like, thank God, I don't need to deal with this anymore. <laughs> but I think, I, yeah, I think it's just the ovulation now I have to track and stuff like that. Just to make sure I'm on the right path with that. It's just, and I get cramps still. Not period cramps, but ovulation cramps. But I did get periods, I get really bad period cramps to the point I would not even get up from my bed like even if you're lying down trying to get up you can't even do that that's how bad it was so now you're free yeah free of all of that (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy (laughs) (laughs) what is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey if I known if I known what all the symptoms of endometrial cancer was or even what endometrial cancer was then I would have got a new doctor straight away from A13 and got diagnosed. That if I knew what endometrial cancer even was, if I even saw the list of symptoms, I would have been like, Mom, take me to the hospital, we need to check this up from 13. But I had I got diagnosed at 17. 
Wow. If you could only do one thing to improve mm -hmm. healthcare in the UK where you live, what would it be and why? Um, I think at the moment in the UK they're actually doing a study where you it's um, a uterus transplant. They're doing they're currently researching that at the moment and I'm actually going to be part of that um research. So they're actually developing that and for me it it's a really good thing because especially because I'm hearing that now young more younger people are getting these type of cancers. Like I think I've heard like someone who's the age of thirty or even twenty five are starting to get this kind of cancer. So I think that's one good point that the NHS is really doing is developing technology around doing uterus transplants so it's easier for women who had cancer to be able to still experience things like pregnancy and all of that. I think the one thing they do need to improve on is checking much earlier than it was. They left it late but, but my body decided to not leave it late but I can imagine for any other person if They've gone through like six years of symptoms, even more years, and they're not realizing they should get checked really early rather than at the last stage where it's like maybe terminal or stuff like that. I was lucky it wasn't terminal, but I think for people who are going through that, and it may be terminal, you never know, but I think it should be improved in that way in the UK just because. It's very like draining at the moment. The UK's healthcare system, if you notice, is very straining because it's offering free healthcare. So it's going to be a lot more people, and they right. don't have enough bed supplies or equipment and stuff like that. So I think like even if they can check a bit earlier for patients and not put them on a very long wait list, then I think it's going to save more lives than you normally would think. Wow, I you know I think that's a wonderful message because. Mm -hmm. When you're a young woman, having your period is, a, is enough mm -hmm. of just a pain. <laughs> yeah. But if something changes or it's abnormal like yours were, it is so important to really mm -hmm. figure out what's going on. And you may or may not know my story, but I raised my younger sister and I was her guardian um, until she died from cancer at the age of 15. And one of the only symptoms she had just a few months before she was diagnosed and it and it's not connected to her specific cancer but it was an indication that something mm -hmm. was wrong in her body was that she had stopped getting her period and she always had a very you know normal mm -hmm. regular period i mean that's how the women on my mm -hmm. family are it's like clockwork almost to the day the time mm -hmm. it, you know and when she told me that my first thought was, oh my God, she's pregnant. Like I, cause she had a very serious boyfriend yeah. and she was like, no, 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 I'm not. And, and so I actually had scheduled her or we were, I was going to schedule her for her first annual exam, even though she was just turning 15 and she was very afraid of it and scared. It was like, no. And I said, I'm concerned. I said, this, this is not normal. Something's, I, no, that's all I said. Mm -hmm. Something's going on with your body. Yeah. And then when she was diagnosed with stage four cancer, again, the lack of period, not specific to the cancer, but just an indication mm -hmm. something's wrong with her body. In an effort to control mother nature, her doctor put her on birth control, a lot oh, of birth control. No. And all it did was make things worse. 
you know, and that's I was thing. put onto birth control in the beginning as well. You were. Like, when I had those really heavy periods, I was put into the mini pill just to suppress it. Doesn't work for me. It did yeah. not work. It kind of just went into my body and went out. That's, <laughs> that's how I felt like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think for women who are going through that stage, if you notice something that is wrong, just firstly, for me, I'm trying to normalize these kind of stuff because things like periods or bleeding or women and puberty and stuff like that should be really normalized. It shouldn't be ashamed. Like my culture, I mean, the Indian culture, they really shame that quite a lot. They really shame periods. They really shame stuff like that so it's just trying to be trying to normalize that kind of thing especially in different cultures as well um and why the why the shame i have to ask i'm curious why it's culture it just because down to culture and um, i think it, india no i know but where where do you think that comes from in the indian culture like why i'm not too sure it just came from even before i was born i did not sure. know but I think that spans generation to generation over time. But I think I have trust in this generation to make it stopped if we can bring more normalization into it. So hopefully that is the case. But yeah, I think it's just down to culture. I think different cultures may have different things. Just not I think also as a society as a whole is not really talked about. Like I don't really hear enough podcasts or enough and videos or anything to do about periods or even endometrial cancer. I don't think I've seen much videos about endometrial cancer or I don't think I heard any podcast episodes apart from what I when I do them. <laughs> Those kind of episodes um, don't come into me, which is really strange because it still need to be talked about. And people talk about more like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer. They're, they're also really life-threatening cancers as well. But there is one that may affect your life day to day. And that's also endometrial cancer as well. Well, I love that you're talking about it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's making a difference. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to have some fun with the Thriver rapid fire questions? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to hear your answers. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach, for sure. Me too. <laughs> Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Um, Rolling Stones, I'm guessing. What is the one word that best describes you? Courageous. I love it. Mm -hmm. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? A Little Mix song. Um, in one of their songs, I can't choose because they're all amazing <laughs> <laughs> and what's the band again little mix okay. they're like a british pop band okay now i have to go look them up after this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh what is the last meal you want to eat Ooh, i think it has to be i think some nice pasta or something like that oh, like a good so vegetarian well. pasta yeah the last person you want to see my boyfriend <laughs> and the last words you will speak mark my word just believe in yourself and be kind to yourself i think that will be oh oh i think we all need to be mm -hmm. kind to, our, to ourselves yeah. oh, i love that and aside from cancer you what is one resource you recommend for cancer patients and caregivers and i also want to want you to talk about what you do 
Yeah, I think at the moment I'm developing my own platform for but I think I've had my YouTube channel for quite a long time as well. So starting in January, I actually had a video about my cancer story, so that will be there. Um but a site that I recently went into, it's a small business, it's called RareCan where it um, talks about rare cancers around the world basically so you get to put in your information if you're a cancer survivor, a patient or a um, person who looks after someone with cancer and it generates research and they will research more into that type of cancer so it's a really good resource. Wow, rare can. We'll make sure we put that in the show yeah. notes um, as well as your YouTube yeah. channel. Mm -hmm. um, and if people want to reach you, what is the best way to reach you? Um, yes, yeah, so I have my social media, so it's just Pravdrakgill, um, my YouTube channel, which is also the same name. I have my LinkedIn, which is also the same name. Okay. Um, but also follow my business, which is Movement Fitness and Nutrition. The website is www.movementfitnessandnutrition.co.uk. Prav, the youngest woman ever to have endometrial mm -hmm. cancer in the UK. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us no today. No problem. No problem, Adria. I'm really glad that you brought me on today. Me too. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.